0: In New Zealand, as you might recognize, there's a cyclone coming through this country, just uh, in the center of it's a few miles north of where I am. Um, so, there's lots of gales and rain thrashing around, and they say it's going to increase for a while. Um, the monastery I'm at, the Wi Fi is very poor, and it's probably now, I imagine, the weather conditions have completely knocked it out (laughs) so this is somebody else's house who lives a few miles away so they offered me a place where i could come and do this uh, zoom session with you so uh, thanks to them and thanks to the good graces of the caretakers of the monastery who brought me here um, and the good graces of Peter who's got the Zoom room and George who's hosting it and everybody else is good grace. We have this miraculous possibility. (laughs) Uh, So I've got these questions from the um, the Tracks comments page which you're welcome to contribute to. I don't have a way of directly responding because I don't have access to it, to have input into it. But I do read it and... uh, interesting in what con- what people's concerns are and of course naturally that's really important. You know, no point in teaching <laughs> just to hear your own voice. You want to try to reach out where people are at and and that's the theme of the Buddha, his dispensation. And one of the things one, you know, finds you know, the, the drawback of these remote Uh, internet connections is that you don't really get to really share time spend time with each other but uh, so this is what we have and i hope these some of these questions are of universal value or stimulate your own thinking so the first question here is a question person asked what is the difference between heedfulness called Appamada, and Mindfulness, which is called Sati. It seems the Buddha spoke of both as having primacy in practice. That is, he said, heedfulness is the path to the deathless. And Sati is the direct path to the ending of sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief and despair for the purification of the heart, for the realization of Nibbāna. So they both get pretty uh, strong marks, strong grades. Is heedfulness the fact of attentiveness and sati the direct experience of it? Or are they just different words pointing to the same thing? Well, how useful is this? Well, I think heedfulness is pretty immediate. Sati takes a little bit more work. Could say, um, you know, we all have a degree of sati, but it's the really basing sati, mindfulness, on right view. In this case, although we do sati is the ability to bear something in mind, to stay with a topic, to stay with it, and you can have what's called right mindfulness or samma sati, or the mindfulness that is fulfilling, samma fulfilling, it's furthering. And you can have wrong mindfulness, which is mindfulness that you're bearing the wrong things in mind. You're kind of getting obsessive. So it's staying on topic. And so this, the Buddha says, well, when your view is when your view is straight on your virtue purified, then you establish sati in these ways internally, externally, both. and you establish them in terms of body. Feeling, heart, and stuff—active stuff that arises in the heart. These are the for the four establishments. So, why do you need your view to be straight? Because you're just not focusing on tomorrow's dinner, or you know the permutations of other people. You know, a straight view is directly present moment what's happening in my present experience and the view is straight that means I want to focus on things that are relevant to uh, the purification of the mind such as really understanding uh, where one gets stuck detached stressed confused lazy impulsive yeah then you've got that's the view on right view to understand there are good there are skillful factors there are skillful states and there are unskillful states and so you bearing this quality in mind this understanding in mind actually what is helpful right and then you start to place your mind in a way that's supportive to You know, clearing difficult phenomena. Um, And your virtue is straight. It means you're not going to be manipulative, deceitful to yourself, and actually honest and straight. So this is what this is called the direct path. Now, what it does, bearing this in mind, is it begins to it acts as a filter. So it's feeling certain. You know, negative thoughts or aggressive feelings. And no, this is not something to tolerate, not something to focus on. It's something to actually say, no, let's stop that. Focus instead on qualities that are either patience or focus on your embodiment. You know, so you're not just going to get caught up with any old stuff. You know, so that's the first establishment focus on embodiment because then you're not just going to get thrown around embodiment's got a certain stability to it you need that stability in order to really handle the evocative qualities of feeling and the powerful very personally experienced qualities of heart whatever happens in the heart definitely feels very personal very intimate quite highlighted quite charged we need some stability to handle that otherwise we're going to get know over stimulated or or obsessive even. This is the quality of Sati. And um, so then we're seeing she's sustaining a skillful focus that encourages not going into negative moods and feelings, but going into qualities that are calming and steadying from where when we have a suitable enough stability we can then review our negative feelings and understand this is based upon you know negativity or attachment or fear or something so you penetrate the dumbness. This is the process and this will bring around a quality of collectedness or samadhi where things get very strong and steady. Um, Heedfulness is much more like the immediate quality of alertness whereby it's like you check what's happening, wait a minute, you just wake up. So as you know the mind has a certain momentum to it, it rolls along and life is rolling along and things are happening and we're asked to react, do this and do that and we get very mobile and you can find yourself swept along by you know, conversations, by media, you know, by thoughts and worries, you're just going along, it's not taking it anywhere useful. It's just you're flowing along in this particular stream. The momentum of thoughts and impressions and external phenomena carries the mind along in the stream. And something he needs to sort of wait, where am I what am I doing? Where am I going? So it takes us off. It takes us out of gear, so heatfulness kind of sets up a certain sense of alertness. And once you realise just how powerful the floods of mental proliferation are, then it acts as the as the kind of instigator to say, "Look, you know, you just see how when you stop, come out, look where you are, and how your mind is running." It does act as an encouragement to find a mooring post and be mindful so heedfulness supports mindfulness and in fact it stays with it because even if your mindfulness goes astray then your heedfulness can say wait you're not mindful wait a minute let's stop re-establish it so it's an ongoing factor well okay I'm going to move on this one I often hear the words, your dukkha is not personal. <laughs> my experience tells me there is so much behind that feeling, that this that I am experiencing is different, worse, beyond healing, or I'm out on my own. To say it is not personal to me is not looking or understanding or feeling or healing the truth of our situation in the moment. I wonder what you have to say. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, your do that expression, your duke is not personal. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a nice brief slogan that uh, can cause you to investigate or remember, but it doesn't actually do. It doesn't actually do much apart from give you a, a hint. And because the the dukkha comes in various forms, there's dukkha called Dukkata-dukkha, which is the dukkha of pain. Then there's a Viparinama-dukkha, which means the fact that things change, you can't hold on to anything. And there's the Sankata-dukkha, which is the dukkha that gets created through not being able to handle these other forms. The dukkha that the Buddha said he could do something about is this last kind, which is our emotional or capacity to handle or remain steady or you know rise above these assaults on our senses of disappointment things not going right um, pain and then of course psychological pain insults uh, worries and so forth and he's saying what you know with this the, the Dukkha is not personal it's a kind of it's a reminder because if it wasn't personal it wouldn't be Dukkha <laughs> it just feels, oh that's that it's the very personal quality of it that gives it its sting this is happening to me you know and this is my daughter doing this or my child who's getting hurt or you know you look in the world you it oh my goodness all those people buried under rubble in Turkey to say, don't take it personally. Sounds a bit callous. Um, how can you not take it personally? He uh, said, "Well, okay, let's get back to that." You know, uh, and in fact, these things do remind you, perhaps, that these tragedies and, and chaos and hurt and pain are—they're uni- not just you; they're universal. So, you know, Kisa me a woman who her child had died. And he said, well, she took the baby. She was so distraught. And she saw this holy man saying, can, can you can you help me? Can you bring my child back to life? And he said, well, uh, maybe I can help you. If you can go and get a mustard seed, I can do something. She went, oh, great, a mustard seed. Yeah, you go down to the village. But you can only get it from a house where nobody's died. Of course, she goes to the house. Happy to give you a mustard seed, but my uncle died last week, and so forth. Goes to the whole village, recognises, you know, my child, yeah, but everybody gets this. It's not personal, it's universal. That's one way of looking at it. So that the mind comes out of that very contracted, you know, tension of trying to hold to something. Look, everybody gets this, it's not just you. And some of maybe the quality of compassion arises um, to help to heal this painful feeling. You know, so you can't just say, not personal, just a kind of slogan. And then you think, oh, all right, it's not personal. But then you've arrived there from a place of compassion. So it's how you get there that counts. Now we can also recognize that. All the many, many experiences we could have frustration, uh, breakdowns, uh, people being unpleasant, whatever uh, that it all comes to that, that's, that hurt me, you know. That really hurt me. It hurt me. So then, then the kind of meditative, insightful, uh, Processes. Okay, it hurt me. Where, where's the me that it hurt? Is it in the, it's obviously your hair? No. Um, where's the me that it hurt? Well, it went right into my heart. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it did. It went right into your heart. That heart, uh, did you create it? No, I didn't create it. It's, it's, it's there. Um, can you say to the heart, You know, don't experience pain? No, I can't. So you don't own it, you can't control it, you can't even protect it. What makes it, who does it belong to? It doesn't belong to anybody. But then the me sense arises in that place. And the me sense, if you go to that sense, is actually not a person at all. It's a sense of extreme... uh, Volatile, you know, jumps, uh, they jump. Now that, that's not a person. That, that's a, that's a, called a sankara, a volitional rising up of energy and emotion. Mm. Now, what if we acknowledge that I feel hurt, pain? It's actually my heart feels hurt and in pain, it, it burns, it rushes it struggles, it flounders, and perhaps again, my attention would gather around that with a sense of, okay, that's really difficult, let's just see if we can mm, put some steadying, goodwill onto it, respond to it, so that, Now, what's happening there is the me sense has gone to the one who's doing the, the skillful action. You know, so I am responding to this, this heart thing. So it's sort of shifting the centre from the painful piece. Not that it's not there, but your centre of attention goes to the, the healer of the pain. And you could say they're both me. You could say that. You could say the pain is me and the healing quality is also me. You've got two me's. Well, okay, two me's. You could have another few more. You know, we, me is always available as a as a as a reference point to anything that's intimate. Um, but then, as you get like that, you become in as you do that practice of sympathetic awareness and steadying, and whatever you need, whatever is suitable to to deal with that. Much more attention, much more energy, much more focus goes on the healing. And gradually the sense of me begins to soften on the heart, on the painful piece, and, and something strengthening occurs in the healing piece, the healing aspects, the compassionate aspects. Um, and now they're not me either, really, they're just, that's another mental faculty. But the intensity of the experience has been abated by that and therefore, as it sort of abates, it becomes less, you know, I'm not squirming on the end of it. And so that the me drops off the hook. I think, well, then do I even need to use that word anymore? There was suffering. There was a response to it. There was a release. And now it's released. Do, what's, do I need to actually add this me thing to it? There's a process here, so at a certain point, the me word becomes kind of irrelevant, and even obstructive, because if the identification keeps occurring, it doesn't relieve the pain; it intensifies it. It intensifies it. Now, a good friend of mine, he's, he had it when he had a little baby, baby girl holding her one day she's just a little tiny tot you know and she stopped breathing she stopped breathing and he's doing things she's dead he's holding her and she dies in his hands and it's just kind of I mean you don't get much more intimate than that a shock trying to resuscitate, she dead. Didn't know why it, sometimes that happens. And he, oh, God's God, Pain, horror, you know, what, what's going wrong? What happened? Why am I me? Why is this happening to me? And this was, he was in this state for quite a while. It's intensity. It? And then he thought, well, why not me? You know, this happens. I didn't decide to make it this happens. But so why is why is the pain here more important than the pain anywhere else? And when it's so important here, because then there's two things. One, because it does feel important here, this means now get on with it, deal with it. Yeah. And it's so important to deal with it that if you go to identifying with it in a way you don't deal with it, you sort of I'm like this, a particularly uncomfortable feeling I'm like this, I'm stuck, I'm hopeless, I never get rid of this, I can't handle it. This just creates more and more uh, holding on in that experience. So it's not easy to say don't take it personally. <laughs> it's certainly not so easy to say it, but to do it it's not not easy. But the process is directly handling experience as it is, and the more direct you get to it, you recognise that there's something you don't need to do in that that gets in the way, which is me, mine, why me, how can I, why am I like this, that gets in the way, and you abandon that, the sense of me sort of changes, sometimes evaporates, and you realise something in you has become stronger. Wiser, brighter, more resilient, you know? And, yeah, you know, that's. And you don't need to call that anything, really. So the healing process is very significant. It's the healing comes first, or the process of healing becomes first, and the realization that this is just sentiency experiencing stress and suffering. The best way to deal with it is to stop this identification with it. Still easier said than done. I have another question. person has chronic illness. This is obviously one of the major examples of Dukkha. Chronic illness which affects many parts of my body and is very challenging comes on suddenly so I live in constant fear and worry of what if I get sick I also monitor my sensations all the time to try and prevent the illness even though doctors tell me I can't do anything to prevent it affects my breathing very difficult to use my breathing to calm myself, how can I get out this constant cycle of fear and worry and obsessively monitoring my sensations. Can I use something other than the breath? Yes, you can. Mm -hmm. Because the thing with the breathing is and something to to cultivate. Whenever you get into any kind of positive state, good space, then it's the time to focus on your breathing because the breathing will Amplify that state and take it into your into your nervous system. Breathing's a messenger, but if you're panicking, you don't want to focus on your breathing when you're panicking, because it tends to you hyperventilate. So if you get an extremely uh, powerful negative reflex occurring, such as panic, you don't focus on your breathing because your breathing will will actually carry that panic. Instead, you focus on anywhere you can find the antidote to that. Mm. Mm. So we might say, okay, let's say it's, we might find just the anchoring in the body, the physicality of the body, or walking, walking along the movement of the body as it walks. Yeah. Or we might find chanting even, movement of the heart as it chants. Helps to provide some sort of medium where the stressing and attention can find an outlet so chanting, for example, it gives a tremendous outlet for one's emotional body, emotional patterns. You can just chant, open your chest and chant and send blessings, you know, or send any aspiration. And that helps as a, as a focus to give yourself a positive uh, energy that's not trapped. When you feel trapped in a pain body, know, then everything starts to get desperate. So you want to find somewhere where you've got a place of coming out into something more beautiful. Um, Acts of generosity, acts of sharing to others also can give you a a positive energy to move out on. Mm. Now also we when you say, you know, if I get sick, it's not if, it's when. And that's the same for all of us. I can say this, glibly because I'm not sick but I sure know I will be and uh, there's no, no getting away from that so it's not like worrying if I get sick it's a recognition I will get sick and hmm, what does that mean? Hmm. how do I prepare myself to deal with loss of strength this uncomfortable feeling uh, loss of sense faculties um, yeah well that's why we practice, um, find a, a refuge, and certainly you physically, psychologically, you know, you taking refuge in bringing your mind into the into the quality of awareness, and your heart into the quality of loving kindness. These are tried and tested remedies to um, counterbalance the effects of illness debilitating illness you can't do very much don't try to do very much don't try to get well because that puts pressure on it just be aware of the uncomfortable dukkha and be the awareness of that which is not stressing not complaining not resisting and you find the awareness itself can be developed to become a kind of refuge in its own right Somebody asked for a better understanding of papancha, the word papancha. Papancha is translated as proliferation. It literally means uh, a thorough five. So it's making something that was singular into, into much. And it's the habit of the mind creating a whole web of possibilities and alternatives and uh, obsessions Um, so this makes then you get very lost and tangled up in it because it's emotionally driven Mm -hmm. so an example was a few years back when you lived in a derelict house people were just trying to find some place where they could lie down without the rain coming onto them so you get two or three people in a room early days in Chittos monastery three or four people in the room uh, to find somewhere where the rain wasn't <laughs> pattering on your head and so we live like that and in the morning we would gather for their morning breakfast uh, down in the one room in the house which had a solid floor and so we're sitting there and somebody notices an Agarica Bruce wasn't there and where's he gone and we knew and somebody said you know last night he was looking a bit kind of depressed and, and upset and maybe where's he gone perhaps he perhaps he ran away perhaps he's you know gone somewhere And they said yeah yeah we'd better look out because he could have he could have he could have fallen in the lake he might be struggling out somewhere in a deranged state and people were getting really worried door opens in Bruce walks in what had happened he's just found another section of the house he could get some sleep in <laughs> and he would overslept but we created this huge kind of scenario and then all the possibilities what we're we going to do about it you know and it just out of out of the recognition of something not being there when all we really knew was now we cannot see bruce that's what we know and then the mind goes, my goodness what's happening and then proliferation and this is when you get something called sanya, which is a meaning. You know, so you interpret something. Something means something. Oh, that's that. Oh, she's upset. You see somebody's face. Oh, she's upset. Oh, I must have said something wrong. Oh, my goodness, what have I done wrong? I bet I did do, I did do, do that. You, know, you say, I'm, so, I'm really sorry, Sally. You know, how upset you said. What? No, no, I just uh, was just thinking about something. <laughs> You created this whole story, and you realize that you know you you saw something, and you got a meaning from it. And that meaning actually referred to your dominant tendency—your guilt tendency, or a worry tendency, or a or threat tendency. Look, the way he looked at me, he's threatening me. You know, all you know is somebody looked at you. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. You get this proliferation. And essentially, it's sanya, And the qualities that go into it, first of all, it's the underlying quality called tanha, which is we're craving for security. We're craving to know where things are. We're craving to, to feel certain about the future. Yeah, We want to know what will happen. We want to know where that's gone. We want to know, you know, we want to have certainty, we want to have comfort we want to feel settled. We seek a settled, balanced state and something's not doing it. Or we read something that makes us feel And This tanha, craving, then we get this sense of that the papuncha starts moving. This proliferation starts going. And it creates an I am. I am in this state and then this is what I am. I'm a worried person or a negative person or a guilty person or a Flawed person, we can create spin out huge scenarios and stories about our life based upon one gesture. You know, somebody doesn't send you a Christmas card. You think, oh, they've written me off. I'm hopeless. Every nobody likes me. Da, 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 da. They just forgot. <laughs> so, so this is very potent stuff, and why we try to get a hold of it. Is because, you know, you, you can send your, your trajectory, your intentions, your impulses and your self-view. It can create that and send it off in a, in a strong direction. And then you end up generating more suffering out of that. So it's very much caught up with the suffering and stress. So the, the Buddha is one who's called the Nipapancha, the Buddha, does not proliferate. He sees what can be seen, and he sees it. That's the scene. Yeah, <laughs> he doesn't proliferate around it. He doesn't proliferate a person, either internally or externally. He sees something, and he doesn't proliferate. Oh, that's her. He says, "There's something I'm seeing. It reminds me of this. Maybe so. Mm. No, it's actually always on the on the mark." Uh, and that way we're very alert and attentive and we're not projecting our worries, fears, guilt, craving onto other people. and We're freeing our mind from this unnecessary tangle and burden. But at the same time, you have to stay alert. Because, you know, maybe so, maybe so. But that absence of proliferation means the mind is quite clean and attentive and alert. It's not clogged with its fears and worries. Okay, well, I think the last one will take you too much of your time. The natural desire to connect with other human beings. Sometimes I feel unsure of how to go about connecting with others. I want to come from a generous place But sometimes I feel needy. How can I go about getting my social needs met without being an imposition on others or demanding affection? Well, um, mm, the need for social connecting with others. Since we are in a world of other people, um, most of our a lot of our actions are going to be interactions with other people we need to feel there's a certain clarity of relationship where you know what's going on and you you know and uh, um, you can express yourself and obviously you know you, if you, your good will can be received that's what we Then it's very pleasant uh, unfortunately <laughs> that doesn't always work because to any relationship requires two people and if the other person is not available not accessible then you can't get the connection so it requires two people to get that sense of connection in that in that way and then if you don't get the connection you think well either something wrong with me or something or the other I'm not, or not i'm not getting through i feel frustrated then what's happening is you are you are Probably not consciously, but you're actually making a demand. I want you to be available for me. And that isn't going to help matters. So really with this loving kindness, you have the four qualities. There's goodwill, there's compassion, there's gladness and appreciation, there's also equanimity. And they're all aspects of this feature of the extending the heart so we have that quality of goodwill and then if it's not met responded to then we move towards equanimity okay well keep it there you yeah. I'm doing my bit and I feel I feel fluent I don't feel barren I feel there's heart energy coming out but at the same time I'm not asking you to be a certain way and even to receive it so uh, and this is if you like the one that the equanimity is the one you can't you can't really lose with that <laughs> because then if it if things work that's fine if they don't work that's fine but your heart is not closed and you haven't got fluttered flustered and agitated and naturally of course these qualities also have to be cultivated Internally towards oneself. So, you know, this again soothes the heart. uh, You're feeling well. You know, you bring up reflections, gladness, appreciation to yourself. And the efforts you make. And the goodness. And you have mudita. You enjoy your own goodness. So this is another important Brahma Vihara, to be able to just enjoy your own goodness. All of us can can recognise where we go wrong, don't feel very good at all. But the whole point of cultivation is to cultivate simple acts of goodness and to appreciate the fact that you like to do it. It's a natural human need to be generous and giving and loving and you can do that, and you wish to do it. And once you touch into that, you feel, this I can do. Whether anybody else notices or not isn't something I can make happen, but I can still do this. Whether the person responds or not isn't something I can demand, but I can still keep doing this. I'm not losing touch with that quality. This is for equanimity, gladness, appreciation, uh, compassion, these all work together to to mean the heart is quite rich and not um, blocked by you know the negative stuff that's happening for other people. In fact, you have compassion for it. You know, like you know, if only my mother or father. I'd been able to appreciate my teaching. That would have made me happy. But they weren't. So, (laughs) you know, that's like that. It doesn't mean I can't send them love. It means perhaps they, unfortunately, can't receive the fullness of it. But that's the way it goes. Mm. And you send it out to wherever you can. So... I'll stop for this evening and um, we've made it through Cyclone Gabriel has not stopped the dumber wheel from turning thank you very much for your attention